Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when things can go awry. If you look at the world right now, you know, what we used to think was confined to this time of night, to this deep, deep moments of meditation as the world turns. Wasn't that an old CBS soap opera? Yeah, I think it was. Anyway, um, welcome everyone. This is going to be another one of those ones for the history books. There is something so interesting going on at many different levels behind the scenes, both in Washington, at NASA, in the Middle East, in the Far East, and of course, upstairs, out there. Gosh, I wish I could be a fly on the wall upstairs out there and see what they're really doing, what they're really plotting, what they're really planning. I mean, this is the end game. Welcome to what we've all been looking forward to. Well, most of us, I guess. Uh, anticipating, working very hard for decades. I um, uh, looked at a calendar the other day, and as, as you may have noted, Yesterday was the last show on the evening news that Walter Cronkite did. Well, that was March 6th. March 7th, 51 years ago tonight, I was in a KC-135 at about 45,000 feet over Savannah, Georgia, racing a total eclipse of the sun at 600 miles an hour northeast up along the eastern coast nursing sitting on babysitting praying to a special telescope that i had had designed by the cbs labs in stamford connecticut to photograph and downlink over live television from an air force jet at forty-five thousand feet color video of the eclipse you know, if you if you keep at this stuff long enough, everything happens. What was that old uh, cliche? You know, time is how God keeps everything from happening at once. Well, sometimes the memories kind of all happen at once. So this is an important anniversary weekend because it was the last time that um, I interacted with Mr. Cronkite at a professional level at CBS. Um, we stayed in touch somewhat after because he asked me some things about the boat. He had, you know, a very large sailboat that uh, he actually wanted to sail into the path of the eclipse. So he had me draw up charts so he could literally observe the eclipse from the surface of the Atlantic Ocean offshore with his sails furled, looking up at the sun after totality. And that was just one of the many things I used to do. Anyway, back to tonight. After all these years, tonight is the moment when things seem to be coalescing. And what I mean by that is if you go to the other side of midnight.com, that's our 
home page or URL. Click on that. That will take you to our uh, guest page. I'm guest page. I'm all mixed up. To our home page. And at the top, you will see a banner which says it only takes one white crow. Now, let me tell you where that came from. I used that many years ago in a, um, uh, a piece I wrote on curiosity. Because out here in the Southwest, there is a uh, uh, Ap Apache saying, which basically, since they live with nature, they say that it only takes one white crow to prove that they're not all black. And it turns out that you can kind of transpose that same um, attitude to the search for life on Mars. It only takes one incontrovertible piece of evidence to demonstrate that all the naysayers, all the people who've been claiming all these decades that we're just a bunch of crazies and we fake everything. And, you know, this is long before Trump introduced the concept of fake news um, and all of that nonsense. It only takes one agreed upon piece of objective data to completely upend NASA's position for the last 50 years. You know, kind of like jam yesterday, jam tomorrow, but never jam today. NASA's been talking about finding life, finding life out there. And it could be, we could find it any day, you know, with new missions, new billions of dollars, new congressional funding, new endless papers and academic journals, and kind of like super welfare for, uh, you know, pedigreed planetary scientists. Or if you look back, if they look long enough, they'll find evidence of microbes or fossils or ancient organics or something, but they never want to confront the idea, certainly happened in the last many decades, that there could be life on Mars right now tonight as we're speaking up there, hundred and some million miles away. There could be living things on Mars. Well, they will never, ever, ever, ever entertain the idea. And I know this because I've been at this for a reasonable period of time, and they have not changed their position. It's jam yesterday, jam tomorrow, but never jam today. So we land Percy, Perseverance, in the middle of uh, this ancient 30-mile-wide lake bed, actually more toward the shore. And if you look around at the landscape, a number of uh, people on our team and a number of people emailing me, by the way, keep those cards and letters coming in. I may not be able to respond to everybody, but I'm reading them and I'm seeing all the amazing things you're seeing. And no, you're not deluded. You haven't gone into a dreamland. You haven't, you know, kind of side slipped into an alternative reality. Perseverance landed amidst an incredible panoply of ancient ruins, junk, mechanical stuff, building blocks. And off in the far distance, about three miles away, give or take, this extraordinary thing that originally I thought kind of looked like a German bunker out of World War II, you know, overlooking the, um, the uh, English Channel. But in terms of better data and more resolution and better calibration of color, it's very obvious now, including what we're seeing on this striking object, the more appropriate term for it would be a temple. So I'm calling it Temple Butte. I have zero expectation 
that NASA will ever pick up on that. But for those of us that know what we're talking about and have seen the data, and I'm seeing your emails, so I know you're seeing all this stuff, Temple Butte it will be, just like we named the features at Sidonia uh, and the city and the DNM pyramid and all that. We are poised on the cusp of something really, really amazing because and let me kind of go and read from what I wrote this afternoon in terms of the promo for tonight's show. <clears throat> and you can do it yourself if you go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner for March 7th, which will live in my memory for a long time because of the uh, eclipse that we chased. And um, there, if you click on that banner, that will take you to tonight's guest page. And if you click on fast links, that will take you down to my items. But right under that banner, there is the promo that I wrote for Blog Talk and Facebook. So let me quote from it. As of tonight, in the continuing Mars soap opera, NASA TV is still totally screwed up. Two weeks after its next planned worldwide television update of new images and data from the then newly landed Perseverance rover was suddenly pulled two weekends ago. And the proof? Well, there have been no new NASA Perseverance press conferences carried worldwide as normal on NASA television for almost two whole weeks. The ridiculous high school-like phone-in Perseverance PowerPoint presentation that was held on the web a couple days ago, presented by JPL to ostensibly highlight Perseverance's historic firsts, does not count. Its total worldwide audience, wait for it now, was less than 40,000 people. We, those of us here tonight, the other side of midnight, we have a bigger worldwide audience than NASA had last week, and we have not landed a $2.7 billion rover on the planet Mars. If this JPL update had been carried live on NASA television, like all the previous Mars missions, in the days immediately after their historic landings, the global audience for that briefing a couple of days ago would have literally been in the millions. So why doesn't NASA apparently want anyone to know what's happening on Mars? I mean, after spending almost $3 billion U.S. taxpayer dollars just to get us there. And also, why has NASA begun to blatantly alter, I'll repeat that, why has NASA begun to alter newly released Percy images coming down from Mars, attempting, and as you'll hear tonight very clumsily, to digitally remove offending artificial structures from the landscape when you compare them side by side to those images that were uncensored, released by NASA immediately after Percy's landing. I mean, it reminded me of that old cliche, new boss, same as the old boss. So tonight, with the assistance of our indefatigable EM imaging team, we were going to show you more really stunning images of what NASA has really found in Yezero Crater and is so obviously, so desperately, so frantically now trying to cover up. While, keep this in mind, we're going to get more into it in a moment, 
the first Chinese Mars mission titled Questions of Heaven. Oh, how appropriate. Orbits patiently overhead, waiting. So go to my fast items, click on that link under the banner there on the guest page, and that will take you to my first items. Um, I find it extraordinarily interesting in terms of coincidence. Remember what FDR said? In politics, there's no such thing as coincidence. Everything political is planned and planned in great detail with multiple backups. You know, the old NASA cliche, no single point failure. Item number one, the Pope visited yesterday the ancient city of Ur, which is supposed to be basically the birthplace of civilization. But more importantly, from the Pope's perspective, it's the birthplace ostensibly of Abraham, who created the three main Western religious traditions and faiths on this planet tonight. Judaism, Mohammedism, and Christianity. And so the Pope went there. He met with the the senior Shiite uh, uh, prelate there in uh, in Iraq. And they talked about how if all these truths from God are true, you cannot hate the other. You cannot kill, you know, fellow human beings in the name of religion. Now, this conversation has been had before. In fact, endlessly before. What makes it different now? Why do I think the Pope suddenly visiting you know, Iraq, Sumer, the ancient, in terms of the mainstream, 6,000-year-old site of the first civilization that they know of on planet Earth. Because, and I will definitely hold to this model, of what is going on at Mars. I mean, really, if we are on the verge of the announcement that the human race is not alone, that it's air in the solar system to a another civilization or civilizations, plural. And if it comes out, as our data strongly indicates, which is why we titled the new book that we're still working on, uh, you know, Are We the Martians? Because I think the answer is going to be, of course, we're the Martians. In that context, all the major religions getting together and agreeing on what does this mean is essential. It's crucial. It under undergirds everything before the big reveal. And so in this kind of game of what are they really up to? What aren't they telling us or waiting until the appropriate time to tell us? These indicators, the Pope visiting the most ancient city that we know of that created modern Western culture. That I do not think is accidental. And having, I mean, wouldn't you love, love to have been a fly on the wall for those private discussions? Oh, and did I, did I mention that there is in the game at Mars tonight, orbiting around Mars every few hours, an extraordinary Arab spacecraft for the first time in modern history. It's called Hope. In Arabic, of course, it's Al-Amal, I believe. And it was built by students. And they put it together. It's functioning exquisitely. It's returning amazingly 
achingly familiar images. In fact, if you go to item number two, you can see one of the images and a story posted just a few days ago. The mission is doing fine, and it's up there like the other mission I'm going to get to momentarily, waiting. Waiting for what? Isn't that an interesting question? Okay, item number three, right under the Arab uh, data point, there is the story on the Chinese. On the Tianwen 1, which is the Chinese version of Questions of Heaven, capturing its own color images and black and white images of Mars. And if you click on that link, you can see uh, some they posted just a few days ago. Um, and they're poised. They have an orbiter. They have a lander and a rover on the lander, all in one incredibly interesting package, which so far is functioning flawlessly. And they're marking time until they land, ostensibly sometime in late May or maybe June. So into this vacuum, into this kind of pause, comes Perseverance, which landed last on the 18th. And of course, the Arab spacecraft cannot land. It's an orbiter. But the Chinese can, and they intend to land at a time and place of their own choosing. Which brings us to item number four. Isn't it interesting that right now, as part of this unfolding geopolitical behind the scenes, who's moving the chess pieces around puzzle, we have something that was negotiated and signed late, late um, uh, last year uh, called the Abraham Accords, which combines now a technological aspect and a political aspect and a religious aspect to, it's not even a treaty, it's kind of like a gentleman's agreement, but now other Arab nations are, shall we say, permitted to have relations, diplomatic relations with the state of Israel. After a bunch of them have all gotten together over the last 50, 60, 70 years and tried to you know, push Israel into the sea. Well, suddenly, there is a new wind blowing, rising in the east, like a Sirocco. And the Abraham Accords, according to this article that I posted from the Jerusalem Post, could lead, may in fact lead, to a domino effect with more peace deals. And a core part of the initial agreement between Israel, United Arab Emirates, and uh, uh, Bahrain, is that these nations will now share scientific information, which means whatever the Emirates learns from its orbit and reconnaissance of Mars, Israel will get access to without even going anywhere near Mars. Now, I've said on other programs that they had planned as part of the European-Russian effort to be aboard the uh, uh, mission that was going to leave in the same window, they had technological problems and could not make the window, so we suddenly have an agreement to share data on, of all places, in the most contentious piece of real estate on planet Earth, the planet Mars, the god of war. And what has been the perennial history 
of the Middle East for as long as we can remember, if not the legacy, the awful heritage of war. I mean, there's really interesting metaphors and allusions and connections in all this, and I will leave it to you to finish that line of thinking because, to me, the trend curve is clear. Someone behind the scenes is getting ready for the announcement that the human race is not alone, that we have relatives out there, and we on this little tiny sparkling speck of dust, this blue dot, as Carl called it, when seen from the edge of the solar system, we are all together. We are all family tonight, so much more so than anything we will discover beyond this speck of dust. And that, in fact, could be what this Jerusalem Post piece is very, very obliquely between the lines hinting at a domino effect that will lead to more peace deals. Gosh, I wonder if they're uh, fans of Emily Dickinson. Item number five. Now, into this mix, something very curious happened. Um, we've had a new presidency taken over from, you know, the former guy, which is kind of an interesting term. And as part of all of these executive orders that uh, President Biden signed in the first couple of weeks of his of his term was one that was totally overlooked, except in a passing reference. And it instantly caught my attention because in the last four years, we have had demonized the idea of aliens, you know, aliens running across the southern border, the need to build a huge fence to keep aliens out to enclave America first by our lonesome etc etc and that of course has all changed um but what you do not do not know and may not have caught is as part of this change in political policies regarding immigration and refugees and all of that there has been a word change in the actual proposed legal language of new immigration legislation and the word change is to change the word alien or resident alien for people who are here with a green card to non-citizen, non-citizen. So all aliens now, as of the last few weeks in the United States, are not aliens. They are non-citizens. And why would one suspect that that is happening? Well, my conspiratorial bent says, given that words have meaning, words are powerful, sometimes more powerful than the sword, to coin a term. <clears throat> yeah. Is it possible that this language changes because the word alien is suddenly going to come into its own referencing people who were not born on planet Earth and may only visit and then under extreme rare circumstances. In other words, is the deck being cleared politically to where the president can sit there behind the resolute desk and look into the camera and say, my fellow Americans, we have met real aliens. And again, all of these dots are just hanging out there and I'm trying to provide a tentative roadmap so you can figure out 
what's going on. I do want to clean up one thing before we get to our guest tonight. And that is last night I made the statement that Donald and Melania Trump had secretly received their COVID-19 vaccines while they were still in the White House, while he was still president in January before the inauguration. And I got some hate mail. I got mail from some people who have been longtime listeners and supporters basically saying, Hoagland, you're nuts. That's all fake news. How interesting, because it's not fake news. And this is how I can tell. We know that Donald Trump is an avid pursuer of anything written, spoken, filmed, uttered, tweeted, twittered, whatever about him. He hangs on every single word. If the mainstream press report, according to an aide who remained anonymous, that the Trumps received vaccinations before they left the White House, I'm sorry, John, but you're wrong. It's not fake news. And here's how I know. If it was fake news, the first guy who would get all over media, and because he was Donald Trump, he would have access to any media he wanted. He could call up Hannity. He could call up MSNBC. He could, um, he could you know, go on Facebook. Uh, by the way, I think uh, uh, Twitter is going to reinstate his account. I heard that the other day. In other words, he has a million outlets who would take down every word if he publicly denied that he and Melania received their vaccines. And I looked, I mean, I really looked up and down, left and right. I checked all kinds of blogs and all kinds of, you know, social media and, you know, other sources. I could find zero comment from former President Donald Trump that this was a lie, that this was more fake news. So as the term was coined back when Bush was running against, uh, uh, what's his name, Michael Dukakis, in Boston in that election, uh, charges that are non-answered are charges assumed to be true. So since the Trumps have not said, oh, that's not true, we didn't get vaccines, and have just let it lie, one can obviously assume with excellent background that it is true. So sorry, John, it's not fake news. And that, of course, brings me back to the reason for bringing it up in the first place, because if the Trumps believe in vaccines why didn't they get vaccinated in public like president biden and kamala harris and uh, mrs biden dr biden i should say and other high-level politicians who are doing everything they can to be role models in the idiom that taking this vaccine will save your life now separate the truth or reality or falsity of that from the political reality that these other politicians do this to demonstrate leadership, to be the first out of the barn, to demonstrate that it's safe, et cetera, et cetera. If the Trumps believed enough in the vaccine to take it privately, secretly, in the middle of the night in the White House before they left the front door, why didn't they tell anybody? Why did they keep it secret? Well, that gets into a whole area of, shall we say, um, theorizing and model building and speculation that is not appropriate to tonight. But let's just kind of ask that question rhetorically. Why did they do it in secret if they believe enough in the efficacy to basically take it themselves? And no, John, it's not a lie. 
it really happened so your guy is not telling you the truth and i would ask why okay we're at the bottom of the hour and i took up enough time but i wanted to kind of set the scene when we come back we're going to do some extraordinary things we're going to talk about uh, how nasa is going to ultimately wind up at temple butte with perseverance how it's planned it actually had in that you know bizarre little press conference uh, a couple days ago a map which we're going to show when we come back there are two possible traverse routes one is a northern route the other is a southern route and they both wind up at temple butte which james bell who was the principal investigator on the most sophisticated camera cameras of the 25 on this mission uh, said the other day this is one of our targets and when they get really close it will become impossible to hide its vision to hide its reality to hide its implications and what i think and i'll amplify this when we come back i think this is all about right now pausing delaying for time time is our friend time could be nasa's friend are they waiting for the chinese that's kind of what i'm thinking so this seemed to be an appropriate bumper to play tonight you're on the other side of midnight my name's richard c hoagland please your return This is kind of a multi-leveled pun. Let's see if you guys can figure it out. Send me a note.
my approach to it has been, of course, from this academic scientific side to try to show that from that point of view that even in the in the depths of the of the data that they're presenting, they don't have a case. They've misrepresented things. They've distorted things in the public representations. And of course, I'm not alone in having come to that conclusion. Number one, there are an increased number of deaths for 2020. But number two, these are not caused by COVID-19. They're caused by the biological and psychological effects of the lockdowns themselves. Because when you lock people down, when you wreck an economy, you get an increase in heart disease and cancers. You get an increase in what is called deaths of despair. Uh, you get suicides, you get drug addiction going up and overdoses, killing people. And all of these things put together by my estimate in my research paper shows that as many as 600,000 people died in 2020 from just these things. Deaths by despair and the effects of the lockdowns and the forced masking. This is Dr. James DeMeo, and I'm speaking to you from the other side of the news. Your program, I must say, compliments you. You're doing a great job in assisting to get around these barriers of censorship and erasure that the mainstream media is doing. Uh, so it's very important, and I congratulate you for the work you're doing. I'm an invited guest on the other side of the news, and I found it to be a very enlightening and helpful and wonderful experience being interviewed by three intelligent people.
And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, March 7th, 2021. Elton John, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. Well, maybe not now. But was that always true? And the answer, obviously, from everything we're seeing all around this rover, from all the emails I'm getting from people who are jumping up and down saying, I see stuff, I see stuff. And they're sending us endless, please don't send screen grabs, okay? Because the moray pattern completely wipes out. You have to actually take it into an imaging program, grab it, you know, cut it out, put it in a program, send it to me as an email attachment. Because in this game, quality is everything. Everything. But we're getting close. And uh, what we might do, because we're going to be doing these Perseverance shows probably for the next several weeks as new data comes in and new political developments occur and they're going to occur i think on a rising curve remember the chinese are upstairs just waiting Okay, we can say goodbye to Elton. I did tell you the story of where I was when I first heard that. I was literally driving back from Houston. I think it was the mission of Apollo 16. Yes, it was Apollo 16. Another memory. Anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about the imminent discussion and disclosure and official acknowledgement of ancient life maybe current life, I'm not talking about people now, I'm talking about plant life on the planet Mars. So without further ado, let me introduce our cast of characters tonight. Uh, in no particular order, we have Ron Gervron, our resident generalist who proudly boasts that he is an uncredentialed polymath with a proudly uncredentialed and deeply uh, deep interest in the study of archaeology. And yes, he is, and yes, he does, and he has turned up some really interesting things. And wait till you see some of the comparisons he's going to have for us tonight vis-a-vis -vis the Percival Percival. I keep wanting to call it Percival Lowell. That's what, in my mind, Percy stands for, not Perseverance, but Percival Lowell. Another individual who's with us tonight is Andrew Curry, who began his artistic career as a community public artist, working with neighborhood groups to create murals in schools, and eventually went on to become a graphic designer and illustrator, uh, he served uh, small and large Canadian companies, and for the past decade, he's worked as a storyboard artist and concept illustrator in film and television and in commercial TV advertising. He has a Bachelor of Arts from the University of British Columbia, a diploma in graphic design and illustration, and a master's in art therapy. And the art part is really important because we're seeing all kinds of art all over Mars. Mars isn't the god of war. That was, again, that's fake news in a kind of an ancient sense. Mars, it turns out, was the planet of art 
and something awful, horrendous, catastrophic by orders of magnitude beyond what anyone can conceive, a whole planet killed that turned it in terms of the echoes down through time and the legends and myths that were brought from there to here into the planet of war. Another member of our happy band tonight is Ruggiero Calo, uh, of Italian uh, English descent from his native London. He moved to the south coast, the Jurassic coast of England, where he currently lives and works. He graduated from the University of Southampton School of Health Professions Science in 2004 with a BSc honors degree in podiatric medicine. In working his professional life, he undertakes all aspects of general practice with a special interest in human movement and musculoskeletal medicine, including gait re-education and orthotic prescriptions. And um, I'm going to give away a little something here. He also did the first really medical accurate sketch of the human femur, or is it a tibia? I always forget. It was found by Curiosity lying in the Martian sands. And of course, NASA says, oh, just a rock. And any guy with a medical background looks at it and says, no, that's a human bone. And we're going to have him talk a bit uh, about that. Anyway, later on in the uh, evening or morning, we're going to be joined by Chris Rogers, who is a professional composer, musician. He's traveled the world featuring soloists with Jerry Mulligan, Frank Sinatra, Mongo Santa Maria, Buddy Rich, Chaka Han, Eddie Palmer. Well, I could go on and on. But he's got, in addition to his musical profession, he's got a really interesting eye, and he's been finding all kinds of amazingly cool stuff in these released images. And so we're going to have him come on as kind of the um, man on the street uh, to comment and point out why he thinks this is finally steamboat. Oh, and one other thing. Chris has volunteered to do the editing and uh, um, uh, preparation of each of the shows for the uh, uh Club 19.5 people, as well as our terrestrial radio stations in Southern California, KCAA and her sister stations. So I want to give a tip of the hat to him for doing that for many, 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 many months. And I hope his reward is he gets to be in on the good stuff when we finally get the good stuff. So without further ado, let me open the mic and gentlemen, and of course, Kintia is in the background there. She might actually have a couple things to say, given that we're talking about a planet of art. Everyone, welcome to the other side of midnight. Good morning, Richard, from the UK. Good morning. Hello, Hi, Richard. Okay, who wants to go first with either reactions to what I said or, well, I, I think we ought to start there before we get into presenting new data, because the politics around this I find as interesting as the data itself. Agree, disagree? Have another point of view? Think I'm all wet? <laughs> no. Uh, too many questions. Too many questions. <laughs> On whose part? Oh, uh, why? Okay, okay. Yeah, you get yeah, you gave us too many options. <laughs> well pick No, one. you're 
Okay, well, yeah, the politics are pretty important. I'm sorry, I didn't know what the order would be. Uh, the uh, yeah, they're they're definitely trying to hide something, but they're doing it in a strange fashion. I mean, there are new pictures that they just posted today that were taken according to the um, uh, according to the legend uh, on March the seventh, mm. our time. So that's a very fast downlink, don't you think? Uh, that's really fast. I, I, lo- I learned yesterday they got four different satellites that are involved in relaying the stuff back. So maybe they picked up a little more bandwidth that way. Mm. So you think that what? They're kind of spring-loaded to put out the real stuff without comment yet? Uh, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, I have a – when I get my chance to talk really fast and try and stick something in there, uh, I have a suggestion for the audience for everybody out there on how they can find stuff themselves very easily on the new pictures because they are so clear. Okay. So we'll hold that for a minute. Um, Ruggiero, welcome to the other side of midnight. Um, Do you want to, you want to kind of jump in with a description of, of, of your sketch, which I found profoundly important as part of the investigation. Well, so uh, thank you. And uh, hello to uh, the audience around the world. Um, yeah, when I uh, first saw that, that image, which uh, NASA had uh, labeled a uh, Mars bone, uh, what well, I was more intrigued by, rather than just the, the medical type stuff, which I'll get into in a minute, is the fact that it looked like the rover had gone round and like almost ridden over this object and broke it in two, and it kind of uh, revealed uh, bits uh, about the structure, which uh, I found quite intriguing. But uh, what you could see, on, on the image, uh, which we don't have on the screen tonight, is the the, the structure looks a bit like a, people would say, oh, it looks like a stick. And I'm like, that looks like a bone, and it definitely doesn't look like a rock. And you can see, if you compare it to the femur of um, the human body, if you took the kneecap and you had somebody who had like arthritis, osteoarthritis around the knee and they were aging, you could see like these fissured lines. Do you remember those, Richard, in the picture? Which one I drew it? Very dimly. Okay. And what we can do is we can put it up for the Club 19.5 folks uh, after the show. Brilliant. Um, and at the top of the structure, you'll, you'll see what almost looks like a, a hip joint. I wouldn't say it was a human bone. I don't know what it is, but it looked, when we compared it to the anatomy books, I've got, got my books back out. One of the things that's quite distinct about, um, about bone is it looks porous. You know, if you've ever been to a, a meat shop and you get a piece of bone and, and look at it, you can kind of see that uh, through the detailed structure. Um, and on, on the NASA images, it's quite clear, and I put it into my sketches, where you can see that porous, uh, almost looks like weathering on the, on the top of the bone. Um, so it's, it's quite an unusual feature. Uh, I'm not sure, well, I couldn't say what it is, what, you know, what, what, what creature would have come from. But it definitely looks like um, something of biology. And, uh, okay, can, can Thea just sent me a note. She's going to put it up in your section. Okay. And obviously what you do is you go to the URL, our homepage, mm. and you um, click on the banner for tonight, One White Crow. That will take you to the guest page. Right under the banner there, you'll see fast links to various items. Uh, click on Ruggiero's in a couple of minutes as soon as I get the heads up, and you'll be able to see... What this? I mean, to me, when I saw it, it was obvious it was a bone. Yeah, totally, it was no, my... obvious that it looked like a human leg bone, 
And at that point, my medical knowledge kind of falls off the edge of the table. So, I mean, I wanted to try and convince myself it wasn't Richard. And the more I looked at it, the more it just jumped out on me. And I was like, that is absolutely a, a bone. How can it be ignored? And what I'd now, say let to me, you- let me Let me call it a pause here. Because, Ron, the other day, you and I had a conversation. And you said you'd found a second one? No uh, yes. Yes, I have. I, I was waiting for a chance to... Um, Tell him the tell Chris that I'll send it to him. It's a you um, mean Rogero? Yes, yes. Okay, um, Mr. Rogero. Yes, I love your I love your bio picture. By the way, excellent. Oh, thank you very much. I, I like you already. Uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah no, there's another there's another completely different image uh, taken by Curiosity that has the same uh, leg bone, which may mean something uh, from an archaeologist standpoint or paleontologist, I guess. Uh, the shape of it at the top is consistent, and the slight curve are consistent with a Homo erectus femur. Oh, now that's intriguing. Boy, yeah, is because that is that telling? Huh? Yeah, it, ha- it had to do with the, it. Had to do with the, they had us, and I don't know exactly how they determine this, except um, inductively. But by the um, uh, the slight curvature comes from a lifetime of lifting heavy things is what it amounts to uh they had the uh much about three times what we consider our musculature to be normally capable of uh they are just like anybody that's ever um argued over a um, banana with a primate uh know how incredibly strong they are for their size and it's so they had the same thing going on with Homo erectus. Um, first one that got that Homo at the front instead of um, uh, Pithecanthropus or something like that. And um, they uh, that adds that slight strain bend in there. You know, it's not that they don't they don't come out that way. Ours are straighter. Uh, Homo sapiens there, it's straighter than that. But yeah, that's as far as I can go. But damn it, one of them you know is obviously a bone. And another one that looks just like that, uh, it's hard to conceive it as an artistic shape or something like that, and it's certainly not the effects of, of erosion. So, yeah, you're right on the money. I mean, I, I can't see how it could be anything else, and I can't even remember what NASA said about it. They, they, they did from say... My, from my memory, they, they said, oh, look, this one looks like a bone, but obviously it's not. It's um, a rock. It's Nothing always up. a rock. That's right, Richard. One, one of the things I'd jam say yesterday, the jam tomorrow, but never jam today. Yeah. One of the things I'd say to the audience is like, you know, do your own work. When we when you compare the image, go and get an anatomy book and go and have a look and compare for yourself uh, the detail that I that I put into the drawing and also the NASA image and then um, any of the drawings or photographs you might see in an anatomy book. And it's hard to tell the difference, to be fair. Anyway, that's why Ruggiero is here tonight, because he's contributed a major piece of substantive confirmation to speculation, given that I don't hang out with leg bones every day, and he does. Okay, let me bring in Andrew. Andrew, you're quiet. You're, you're musing. You're thinking. I can, I can feel you thinking, because there's so much artistic reality presented in these really astonishing new images. Yeah. Well, you've sort of stirred up the mud in the bottom of the pool there, Richard, right from the get-go. But listen, um, what I mean by that is, you know, um, you 
are very gracious, I'm going to say this, to allow an opposite point of view, you know, coming in, you know, on Friday nights. I was part of this show. I just want, I want to lay a little groundwork here because this is a microcosm, I believe, on this show to what's happening in the world. You know, we all have points of view. We're all looking at data the best way we can. We're looking at stories. We're trying to figure out what the, you know, where's fake news, where's real news, and we're cross-referencing as best we can. And, you know, Richard, I got to give you kudos to allowing a platform for, you know, a, a different point of view, even because, you know, there's a lot of people, 75 million people, Americans, you know, that have a different point of view. And um, I, I think it's great that you do that. So on that basis, you're right about Mars. And I'm going to come back to the bone and, and but on that basis, we are coming together in the in the milieu of Mars from many points of view. And as you said before, these these three kings that represent all humanity, and we're going to have to find a way to stitch this tapestry together in a way that doesn't offend, in a way that you know unites. And and how we do that, I'm not sure. No, I, I'm laying that out there just because I know, you know, like... Well, like, Andrew, let me let me stop you there. No. I don't think it's going to be that hard to sell mm. because there's always the gap between, you know, when, when, when pollsters call people up and they ask them <clears throat> various things and then reality happens and you see the polling goes out the window because when you're confronted with stark reality, people's attitudes change from their intellectual oh, this is possible, and if I was confronted, I, in other words, it goes from the theoretical to the you know, rubber meets the road. Mm. When the human race is confronted through its authority figures, be they heads of state or heads of church mm. or heads of, of movements, whatever, with the reality that the human race is so much more related on this little planet tonight than anything we're going to encounter out there in the form of former or current sentience. I think the bringing the human family together is going to happen all by itself. It's going to be the instinct, you know, what, what's that What's that thing about the enemy, of, the friend of my enemy, the, the enemy of my friend is my enemy too, that kind of thing. Mm. So we're going to suddenly realize which we've not been allowed to realize for, I believe, thousands of years. That's why this moment is so unique. And I've talked before about the processional cycle and the peak in the physics and all that. But this is the time when this huge decision is being presented to us. And I don't think it's by accident. I think that the political smart guys in the back room realize that this could not happen until now because the physics would not allow it to take root. Remember, I've quoted, you know, one of those Jesus sayings, you know, cast not your seed on barren ground. Yeah. That's what would have happened if this night had happened any time in the last 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 500 years. I think this is the unique moment when it's carpe diem. It's this decision time where we can be presented with this extraordinary reality and it will have the positive effect of bringing us together as a human family to confront the unknown with a capital U. 
I think you're onto something, and I think what brings this all together is something that, and I know Ron's got a lot to say about the Brookings report, but the Brookings report, you know, one of the things that I gleaned from that, and I know we're coming up on a break because I do want to mention something about that bone before we go out, but they kept emphasizing how do we, you know, Brookings report, Richard, you might want to describe what it is, but before you do, they emphasized connecting humanity and even bringing, you know, second and third world countries higher up because they were going over this idea that, you know, third world countries, you know, like they don't have the same media kind of spread, you know, newspapers, radio, television. And how do we bring everybody up to speed, up to par so that there can be instantaneous messaging about things discovered through space adventuring, you know, as a space discovery. And I found that to be a big piece. And we've got that now. We've well, got- you, you know, it's so interesting because Teilhard de Chardin, who was a Roman Catholic philosopher, um, he talked about the new sphere, mm-hmm. which was basically the connection of humans and consciousness. And we've now created through the web, the Internet, the new sphere. Nothing that happens, no sparrow that falls is missed by some bloggers, some commentators, someone somewhere, and then it spreads virally across the world. So again, for very practical reasons, which you're alluding to, obviously, I don't think this time could have come before because we would have had it filtered through three major networks, you know, maybe a handful of major newspapers, and everybody would be suspect of the censorship of the filtering through media now because people can download these images and there's a segue coming up here after the break they can see this data for themselves they can see the things that nasa obviously is is lying about but the data is on their website even if they are lying about it so it's like a two track tier where the words and the music are not in sync so you follow the data forget the words forget the lies for the time being because they're marking time everything is happening i think on a calendar on a clock on the ritual physics in the background which is pacing in this model everything including consciousness and yet we have this weird weird (laughs) nasa av you know high school av production that brings it all (laughs) i'll tell you what hold it there because we are literally at the top of the hour my guests this morning are too numerous to mention so you can go to the website and we'll introduce them periodically through the evening we're discussing what's really going on with nasa and in spite of the words and again this song to me has immense significance have you figured it out yet long way home take the long way home take the long way home thanks for listening to this exciting first hour now the second and third hour of the show is available 
to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Over and out.